Hi everyone, welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Welcome everyone. On this episode, we have two founders that I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but I want to give you the context of why we're going to be having this chat. We've been doing a lot of deep dives into healthcare and healthcare from the patient's point of view is something we can all relate to. But if you think about this as an iceberg, that's just a tip. There's quite a bit of substance to enable health practitioners to deliver the value of diagnostics and treatment to those patients. And it's all underneath the water under this system of healthcare, both regulation, pharmaceuticals, all the support systems that make up the ecosystem of health. And so with that, I wanted to introduce Phil and Samir, each from companies that we've backed, and I'll let them introduce themselves, but they're going to cover that area with us and talk a little bit about the challenges of building a company in that sector. So welcome, guys. Good to be here, Carlos. So yeah. maybe, uh, Phil, you can um, you can kick things off. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you started Metal and what you're doing now and what Metal does. Sure. Um, so I'm a medical doctor by training. I was an academic registrar in cardiac surgery and uh, with the National Institute for Health Research in England and then jumped into uh, a general practice, sat on the Association for Surgeons and Training Executive and got exposed to some training systems both in the UK but uh, in other countries as well and was pretty shocked actually as as to how disparate they were um, and um, uh, and so that that kind of gave me the the impetus the motivation to try and solve some of those problems how do you make training better around the world how do you improve healthcare uh, uh, training for doctors and healthcare professionals and in doing so actually improve care for patients and that that really was the ethos behind uh, metal which is uh, like a Wix or a uh, a bubble for uh, training software for uh, healthcare professionals allows uh, uh, medical schools uh, training bodies to to build their own assessments, build their own uh, curricula on the platform, and actually credential their healthcare professionals to a much higher standard. And that means patients get better care. Excellent, Samir. Um, so I'm Samir, I'm the CEO co-founder of Doctorly. Um, I've been working with technology startups for about 12 years. I did archaeology at university, so something completely different than where I've ended up today. But my route was more of the entrepreneurial route. So I worked at startups in dating, fintech, insurtech along the way. Um, and yeah, I guess eventually co-founding and then founding business was a natural route for me. Um, I didn't have a medical background. For me, it was more okay, what am I going to spend the next 10 years of my life doing? I looked at education and health as I saw these as the two biggest key life industries that had the least disruption. Um, I had no idea how to do it for education. I looked at health and my co-founders and I just spent a lot of time thinking about what we could do. Um, we looked at, you know, therapeutic apps. We looked at, you know, how could we do things for the patient? How could we do things for the doctor? But when we visited doctor practices, everything became really obvious to us because we found out that the practice software that they're using to do 90% of their work, uh, basically it's from the 80s. Um, and it's terrible. It's as bad as you may imagine. DOS based, no cloud, no uh, APIs, nothing. And we realized that no matter what we build today, if there isn't an integration between the old 
have to use and this cool stuff we're building today, then the industry isn't going to be able to move forward. Uh, doctors spend 70% of their time on admin, they hate it. So we decided to build a practice software that cuts our admin in half, that digitizes their processes, and ultimately serves as a platform for us to then build more digital products uh, to engage the relationship between patient and doctor in a more digital way, as well as integrating other people's products into our own, so third-party tech companies, etc. So that's Doxly. Excellent. Well, laying the foundation for that, um, maybe we can start off with the big picture question. As I mentioned at the introduction, you know, for the listeners, this is this is really to touch upon some of the subjects that are harder to touch upon when we're dealing with diagnostic and, and treatment type platforms. We're now talking about the infrastructure of health. So what are the biggest face, biggest issues facing healthcare and healthcare systems at the moment, Samir? I mean, from my perspective, it's ultimately, it's a massive industry and it's massively important. And as such, um, there's a lot of work that's going into building an infrastructure over time. So it's very difficult to then suddenly change this and shift this. So when you look at the industry, you could say it's made up from government, uh, sometimes separate regulatory bodies. You've got the pharmaceutical industry, health insurance industry, doctors, patients, pharmacy workers, health technology providers. Um, if I, if, I, if I said to you, I believe there is a holistic healthcare industry where all of the interests are aligned, I'd be lying. Um, ultimately, um, a health insurance wants one thing, but it goes against what the doctor wants, so it's hard to get it done. The patient wants something, but the doctor isn't able to provide it because the pharmaceutical company wants something else. So ultimately, moving anything forward in a substantial way, in a holistic way, is impossible currently um, because the desperate interests uh, are really difficult to align. Um, so those are the biggest challenges facing this industry. Um, and let's face it, it's, it's, it's not something that can be disrupted with an app. It's something that's uh, iterative across the industry. Um, yeah, for me, that's the biggest problem that we're facing, and it's, it's massive. Yeah. Phil, from your point of view. Uh, for me, uh, looking at healthcare, there's been a crisis bubbling for quite a while, right? So uh, COVID has kind of brought health to the forefront of people's minds and uh, non-healthcare professionals, people not involved in healthcare whatsoever, uh, are suddenly now looking up at healthcare and thinking, actually, there's probably some stuff that we need to tackle there. And the World Health Organization, before COVID came along, highlighted the workforce crisis in healthcare as one of the big issues we're going to face over the next 10 years. So uh, we currently have about 60 million healthcare professionals worldwide, and we need approximately, there's different figures from different places, but approximately 18 million more healthcare professionals by 2030. So we need to increase the number of healthcare professionals by a third in 10 years. And the place that that is needed most is the place where there are least resources, right? So uh, in the, on the continent of Africa, um, they need a third of those extra healthcare professionals. They need 6 million more healthcare professionals by 2030, yet they have the least training resources to do that. So they've got one medical school for uh, every 7 million population. Compare that to Europe, where it's one medical school for every 1.5 or 1.6 million population. Um, it's needed, but it's not just Africa, right? It's not just um, low middle income countries where this is a problem. It's everywhere. So the US needs 105,000 extra doctors, 1 million extra nurses by 2030. Germany, 300,000 nurses by 2030. India needs 3.9 million more healthcare professionals to deploy what is regarded as the greatest movement towards universal healthcare in the history of humankind. China needed 180,000 just to 
um, just to relax its one-child policy. It needed 180,000 extra obstetricians, sorry, just to relax its, its one-child policy. And that's got to be done to a high standard. How do you do that with limited resources? It's, it's tough. So that, that, that is the biggest issue. It's, it's a slight uh, tangent here, but I just want to understand a little bit more about how in Africa you would, how would MedAll help train uh, practitioners faster? Just give an example, like a, a tangible example, how, how you would envisage that playing out. Um, one, not just faster, but two, uh, to a higher standard, right? So how do you, how do you, up, upskill people who are already in that system, and how do you uh, how do you increase the number of uh, uh, doctors, nurses at this at the same time? A big bit of it is about dissemination of information, right? And and credentialing people as they go through their training. The World Health Organization has said that there are grave deficiencies in how people are trained. So we just kind of so long as people are spending enough time in a system, and it's not just Africa; this is elsewhere as well. Um, as long as you're spending like five years under the tutelage of somebody more experienced, you pop off the end as a specialist in surgery or a specialist in whatever name insert specialty here. Uh, uh, what we what we would do is actually um, allow them to deploy a curriculum, allow them to deploy the assessments that they need to train their healthcare professionals as they go through. So that at every step of their training program, uh, they are assessed, they are credentialed, benchmarked um, against um, bona fide standards. So that at the end of their training, uh, a doctor um, is uh, is definitely meeting all of the competencies that they need to meet um, to 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 do their job. And and that's what happens in. In, in some countries around the world, it's what the World Health Organization says that we have to be doing, but actually is really hard to implement. It's, it's expensive to do that, and we try yeah. to reduce the cost of that. So I wanna, I wanna dig deeper into that um, and bring you in, Samir, to, to comment a little about what, what you guys do, but I, I think uh, I wanna segue into that. With, it reminds me of that case study with um, the, the Boeing 737 MAX, if I recall. Is that, is that right, guys? Is that the, the airplane that was affected? I, I think as the story goes, it, this is this is the plane that's been in controversy at the moment because the way that it was designed was around minimizing additional training for pilots so that they wouldn't necessarily need to requalify or reduce the amount of additional training they need to take with this new airplane rather than building a new airplane that served the purpose for the next you know 30 years of service and then forcing pilots to be retrained for a better uh, a better plane and so there was this trade-off the industry had for the economics uh, and for the existing system to work to sort of adapt and and sort of keep old technology in play just to reduce the amount of training, but at the same time jeopardizing the the ability for pilots to be trained to more effectively use current technology. And so it, that's just that example popped in my head as you were sharing a little bit about the training. So maybe we can we can dig deeper into that a little bit. Samir, walk us through your end of the spectrum with regards to this point because it would it would seem to me that like the dog wags the tail the tail wags the dog technology especially startup technology can drive a lot of the workflows that mean that you don't make the same mistakes you don't make the same failures which can lead to a boeing type uh, example i mean it's it's kind of that whole if it ain't broke don't fix it mentality that we'll see in every uh, industry and in every area of government as well. So, I mean, ultimately what Phil is talking about is really important because there isn't one startup that's going to change healthcare. It's, it's, it's looking at all of the different aspects of it and changing them one by one or, or simultaneously. From our perspective, uh, we're, we're, we're based in Germany. 
Germany is considered one of the most modernized countries in Europe. It's, it's, it's a European leader. It's an economic powerhouse. And the doctors are using software from the 80s. Um, we don't have the same problem here that we have in the UK, which is like a, just a sheer lack of practices, you know, a sheer lack of doctors. Here, there's quite a few doctors. So getting an appointment isn't necessarily so difficult here with a GP. The biggest problem is that GP is spending 70% of their time on administration work. So you can have the best trained doctor in the world like just the best trained doctor in the world, and then give them a typewriter to run their business and say, you have to do your billing for private and public patients. You have to do your administration around forms. You have to create the health records, update the health records. You have to store them. And if any patient asks for data, you have to provide that to them. Um, and you have to adhere to uh, data security laws and you have to keep up your training and you have to, uh, because you're self-employed basically, make money. Um, a doctor isn't trained for all of that. They're actually just trained to heal people. That's what they're actually trained for. And so the problem that you'll have in Germany is even at peak levels of training and ability and availability of doctors, the way that they're asked to work has absolutely fundamentally hurt their way to provide the best level of care. Because if they can only spend five minutes with a patient, um, they're not going to spend the best level of care. If the software is garbage, they're not going to have that great overview of uh, your data. If each practice is a silo of data and there's no cloud, so your, your GP has one view of your health, your gynecologist has a completely different view of your health and there's no sharing. Um, what the hell level of care are you going to get? If you move from one city to another and you go, I'm going to get a new GP in Munich and I live in Berlin at the moment, they'll give you a DVD full of PDFs and you're supposed to take that to your next GP and they hate you for it because what the hell are they supposed to do with it? And my laptop doesn't even have a DVD player. So the level of care has reached a level where the uh, data um, exchange is no longer up to uh, scratch, if you know what I mean. So for, for our perspective, it's about um, in our industry, we're all really lucky we work in a startup world. We can use Trello, we can use Asana, we can use uh, productivity tools to try to improve the way we do things. Yeah? Doctors are left with 1986 DOS-based software, and that's all they've got. So for me, training the doctors, yes, make them better at their jobs, make sure they're up to date with the latest methodologies. Don't hold them back, the Boeing example, just because it's cheaper um, than, than pushing them forward. However, unless the tools that they have to do their job are modernized, they'll always be uh, stuck providing uh, below care uh, levels than they're capable of. So, yeah. And, and maybe, maybe you can walk us through Metal's example, Philip, uh, regarding the, the training. So like how the training is adapted by the technology that they need to use as part of what a medical practitioner needs to do, the data the management, the retrieval and, and storage and all that stuff, but also training in terms of curriculum. Because I'm, I'm curious to know whether the industry of health has been transformed in the way that people are being trained today versus a traditional way, versus the academic way, in a more expedited, more sort of um, field deploy kind of way. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, certainly following on from what uh, Sammy was saying about the type of technology that's being used in this space, right? So some some countries in the UK, we have uh, a technology called ePortfolio technology deployed by the NHS, deployed by Royal Colleges, which is um, is okay, um, which is 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 trying to meet that need here in the UK and and, and does a good job. Um, that that's doctors, right? And you 
this is across healthcare as well. So it, it, it isn't even just doctors. So when you look at uh, allied healthcare professionals, pharmacists, physician associates, physiotherapists, they've all got to do this stuff. They've all got competencies they need to tick off. And they're all, uh, and so it's in medicine that, that's done relatively well in the UK. In other healthcare professional, professional spheres, it, it's not really. So you know, people are hacking stuff together. So they're, they're kind of, downloading a form from the internet to kind of meet the competency on their curriculum. They, fit, they get that filled in and signed by a doctor using old-fashioned ink and paper. And then they take a photograph with it with their 2020 latest version iPhone. And then they have to leave the hospital usually because the Wi-Fi is not good enough or they've got it barred. And, and they do it on their phone because the desktop computer won't allow them access to the tool that they t- are told they have to use. They take a photograph of it. They upload it to like my- Microsoft, whatever, OneDrive or uh, whatever. Then they communicate with someone on Teams to say, hey, I've uploaded this file. Then that person might have to print it out and sign it and then upload it back into like a shared folder again. And then at the end of it, then it's probably all done in the paper form and signed off and said, yeah, that person's competent. And, and that, medicine's not really like that. There's, you know, it, it's done relatively well in medicine, but other healthcare professionals in the UK, that's what they're doing. Um, and it's crazy. In, the, in 2020, that is, that is what we're doing. Um, and, that, and that's in a system where there is a, a good curriculum with good work-based assessments, uh, with uh, competency-based training, and not every system has that around the world. So, um, you're lucky if you've got paper in some systems, that's great. Um, at least you're doing something, but it's then stored in a big chunky paper folder, right? And uh, and then you lug that 20 miles down the road to go and have a meeting with your supervisor. And this is the 21st century, right? Like we've got to change that. And just, we, we want our doctors, exactly as Samir says, our doctors, our nurses, our healthcare professionals to do what they do best, which is heal people, not lug paper around, not take photographs, uh, not download stuff, just speed that stuff up for them so they can focus on what they do best and, and do a wonderful job at and just to add on to that, I mean, that, those exact problems actually lead to doctors and, and medical professionals breaking the law every single day, right. technically breaking the law, because it's the only way to be productive. Like, I know so many doctors who, you know, the prescription ports, right? Like where they prescribe you medication, they just pre-sign all of it. it they, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to pre-sign all of your medical slips because if somebody gets their hands on that book, it's a problem, right? But they do it because it's like they have so many administrative problems that they just don't want another one. So they pre-sign everything. Um, they, uh, the way they store data is against the law just because it's more convenient. Uh, the way they communicate data. I, I had a blood test recently and the doctor was like, do you want it by email? I was like, that would be cool because uh, that's modern here. And they literally had the blood tests as a PDF, but like within the email uh, with all my results sent to me, no encryption, no password, no login, nothing, which is again, illegal. Like, but they're just trying to get things done. And that doctor is, in my opinion, considered modern here. Uh, To be modern is to break the law. Jeez, that's no joke. That's intense. All right, well, I mean, I still want to, I feel like that's such a (laughs) rabbit hole and we're going to come back to it because I want to get into the role at regulation and government. So hold that thought. But before we we transition to that, um, I want to still dig a little deeper into the sort of the the training side of things and then we can transition. Um, On the training side of things, uh, Philip, what what have you seen as the most innovative form of training globally that we should be sort of highlighting uh, to, to help? train doctors faster, more competently. Right. Um, and you're, you, you, you highlighted that perfectly. So how do you train 
people faster and more competently. It goes hand in hand, right? Um, and it's got to be a combination. There's loads of wonderful innovations around the world. Uh, I'm not going to bang my own drum. You know, there's loads of other people doing incredible things around the world to train people better. A company called Medical Realities is uh, is doing virtual reality training in surgery and uh, and virtual reality um, examinations in in healthcare. So instead of having to physically go somewhere to mm. uh, to talk to a patient and 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 do an exam, right? You can stick on your VR headset and you can do it from your um, from your garden or from your bedroom. And it also means that then you can share some of that information. Um, with other countries as well who maybe would love to benefit from an excellent trainer or an excellent examination or something that's been put together by a world-class healthcare system or world-class medical school. There's a, there's a tool called Proximy, um, which is, uh, again, a wonderful uh, uh, at-distance tool which um, is, is developed by a plastic surgeon that allows surgeons to share their skills in the operating room, right? So you're in the operating room and you, you need a friend, right? You want to call it like phone a friend and say, actually, I need some help. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. If you're in a remote country and you're struggling to, 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 to do that, actually what you want is to be able to, to phone Harvard or phone Stanford or phone the best person who can help you, right? Uh, but they're in another country. How can they look down into the hole that you've just made in someone's abdomen and and point to, oh, you need to cut that bit? It's really hard, right? But And, and how do you... How, how do you how do you highlight this globally? So how do you highlight these best practices globally? Um, I mean, it, it's uh, it's tough, right? It's it's fragmented. Um, uh, there are the old fashioned ways, I guess, of highlighting best practices. Journals, which are slow, it takes about twelve years to get something from um, uh, research of what is best best practice because everything in in healthcare is evidence based, right? So you've got to have an evidence base for something that you're doing. Um, and it takes about 12 years to get from a research project to a clinic and actually in front of a patient. So it's slow, it's clunky, it goes through full peer review process, which is, is good, that's important, um, but you need to speed that up. And, and, and most of that is done in an old-fashioned way at the moment with, with journals, and, um, and, and it takes months, years to get something published in a journal, potentially. Um, so so that, that's how traditionally best practices have been highlighted. Of course, now people are breaking out and doing different things. So um, uh, we started to see the pro proliferation of uh, uh, virtual abstracts on Twitter. So people are just talking about their research project on a video, like TikTok style on a video. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Um, and, and kind of what Samir is saying about uh, kind of just finding a way, right? People are just finding a way around the clunky bits of the system uh, to try and disseminate and highlight that that stuff better and faster um, and using whatever tools they have. Um, we, we think oh. we have to bring a little bit of regulation to that, but... Um, uh, well, but you teed it up for me nicely. You, filled, you teed it up for <laughs> me beautifully. Um, which is, I guess, what's the role of, of government in this? Because, I mean, to some extent, you know, Samir, you were talking about breaking the law. That's what it takes to really make this happen, you know? And, and fair enough, like, you know, people want to get treatment. They don't want to be held down by like, you got to log in this, you got to use your PGP key, you got to do this. And, and it seems like regulation is a huge driver in either being a friend or an enemy in making this happen. So what is that role? And how, how should things change? And maybe I know that you're based in Germany, Samir, so you can also share a little bit how, how that differs versus the US with HIPAA and everything else. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the health minister in the UK and the health minister in Germany both said the same thing at the same time. They said, 
that they want to pass new regulations and new laws to break up monopolies and duopolies that exist within the industry. And that's because in the 80s, the laws passed saying doctors can't do everything by hand anymore and they have to use digital uh, tools. And at the time, there were only one or two providers, right? So those one or two providers grew because the doctors had to buy their software. And now um, startups, especially VCs, you can include in the, in the conversation, are just really afraid of going down that space because... The software is massive, it's highly regulated, and it's an entrenched uh, industry with an incumbent winner. So it's like, oh God, that's not a place, let me go build something much easier. I mean, we started our business in the beginning of 2018 and we still haven't launched yet. It's uh, the nature of what we're doing, right? Um, however, what's the role of the government? It's two things, right? And they're both contradictory. One is get out of the way and the other thing is help. Um, so it's on one hand, like we have the KBV in Germany, Right, so the KBV is the regulating body for software for doctors, you know, um, and they have a full process for all of the different aspects of the products. The documentation that we had to go through to begin this project is like a thousand, over a thousand pages, and it's written by different people from the eighties to today. So it doesn't make any sense. Like it's, and I'm not just saying that because it's in German. It just makes no sense to a German. Um, you then go there and talk to them and realize what they actually want and you can make adjustments. But the process hasn't had to be adapted because there's no new companies. They haven't had to put loads of companies through the process. They just had a process in the 80s and that's the process to, to, to today. So we're having to go through that. Um, and then you've got like innovation, they, they introduced something called telematic infrastructure in Germany recently, a project that took like 11 years to do, cost billions of euros, and is already out of date, even though it's just been launched, right? And the leading practice software in Germany was instrumental in designing it. So they have a massive, massive uh, finger in that pie, right? And doctors were like, we don't want to use that. And, and the tech industry was like, that's terrible. Please don't make us use that because it's already out of date. And we're using it because the leading practice software provider basically built it. It's terrible. That's, that's what the problem is. Like, they're such a powerful force. Government realizes it. Doctors realize it. Uh, patients don't really realize it. Um, and we want to break that up. But the question is, how do you do so when 50, 60, 70% of your doctors are using their software currently? You have to work with them. You can't just get rid of them. So from my side, it's... Oh, and one massive thing. How many grants have my company received? The answer is none. Um, so this is another thing from, yeah, zero, zero grants, right? So we're, we're, we're building a health IT to really dramatically improve the way healthcare can be provided. We're a German company based in Germany for Germany. We have zero grants available to us because we are not innovative enough and uh, meaning sexy words sexy words like if we were like this is a brand new way of using the blockchain to cure alzheimer's disease we would get a grant um but if we're an administrative tool we're improving the processes we're not uh and how many german vcs do we have invested in our business the answer is zero um it's a weird situation but like germany can be its own worst enemy in some respect Samir, i am yeah. perfectly happy <laughs> to uh back you in any initiative that involves just adding dot chain in your domain doctor <laughs> dot chain you're good to go but, but but seriously it's 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 governmental it's infrastructure it's national i think it's it's a problem across the industry and it's a cultural problem in some respects everybody wants to be digital but there's a certain amount of work and pain you have to go through to get there and uh some countries are ahead some countries are behind yeah. it's really Philip, interesting walk, walk, yeah sorry go ahead sorry. philip i was just going to say walk, walk us through from your perspective 
Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting what Sami was saying, right? So, um, and, and it kind of highlights where, where healthcare is, right? So every other industry is looking at blockchain, every other industry is looking at AI, every other industry is looking at virtual reality, uh, because they're in like 2020 or 20, actually somewhere in 2022, right? Um, but in healthcare, we're kind of still in like 2006. And so it's not innovative, right? But we just need to fix the system. And, um, and that for healthcare is transformative. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't have to be AI to actually make a huge, huge difference in, in people's lives, right? This is about efficiency and quality and improving care. And, um, and where, where do government fit in in that? And in some ways, um, we're still in 2006 because it is a heavily regulated industry. And, and uh, the other industries which are less regulated uh, have kind of been able to stretch ahead. That's why Facebook, in when, when did Facebook look? Like 2004, right? Could do whatever they wanted um, uh, because they weren't regulated. Um, and, uh, and it took, what, like 14 years before the first uh, law by a government was passed to regulate Facebook? 14 years? Um, it's crazy. Um, but actually, we're already regulated in healthcare, so that is slow. And that's right, right? Like, that's got to be right. Like, patients' lives are at risk, and, and we have to do the right thing. We can't just go off and do whatever we want. But we have a responsibility, I think, as healthcare innovators or healthcare founders or tech startup, whatever you want to label us as, um, the people who see the future, um, whatever, uh, humble people who want to do their best, whatever, right? Like, we've got a responsibility to lead government in some ways, right? Like, it's not up to government. Government aren't innovators. Government, like, that's not their job. Their job is not to um, come up with blockchain solutions to things. That's not their job. That's our job. And our job is to lead government in some ways in that in that vein, right? And actually lobby government and saying, actually, this is really important. Um, we know regulation is really important, but actually, this is what we're doing in healthcare. And we need your support. And then it's government's responsibility to say, actually, we will support you um, and we need that support and we need government to sit up and say actually yes this is important and this is uh, you know health is wealth this is important to our economy this is important to our system and we will support you it, it's it's teamwork right this is this is mm. an important it's an important sphere and we mm. have a responsibility to lead and they have a resp responsibility to support us mm. all right well look uh loved covering all these topics with you guys we could be here forever um, and you know, it's, it's, it's so much of a deep topic, frankly. Uh, but I wanted to conclude, uh, our podcast with, uh, one simple question for the both of you, um, which is what does the world look like 10 years down the road, five years on the road where each of your companies has succeeded in the respective areas that you guys are, are charging ahead in. So maybe Philip, you want to go first? We have 18 million more healthcare professionals. It's easy. You can quantify it. And they're trained to the best standard, regardless of where you live, right? Regardless of whether you live in South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, whatever, you can hand on heart as a patient know that your doctor has ticked off all the competencies that they need to do their job and that you get the best possible care. Excellent. Samir? Um, from my perspective, uh, the need for the number of doctors will go down because they're able to be more efficient with the time they have and the way they work. The digitization of the relationship between the patient and the doctor can jump forward massively because the doctor is capable of it. Um, and being a doctor isn't becoming, or a nurse or a medical professional in any respect, isn't becoming a worse and worse job. Ultimately, um, it's becoming an attractive job where you get to do what you want to do and you're rewarded for it adequately. Um, 
and you're able to work in the right way. So I, we want to enable doctors to be the best they can be and to work in the most efficient and modern way, which then pays dividends to the patients, basically. Excellent. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Um, this has been super interesting. And, and as I said, when we kicked off, there was so much underneath this uh, surface of the water. And this is really where the problem and the solution lies. So thanks again, guys. Until next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.